0: Hey, it's Owen Jones, welcome to the podcast. Today, Will Young, obviously a very, very celebrated singer. Um, we talk today, he's an author as well, would you believe, uh, and his book, uh, To Be a Gay Man, brilliant read. We talk, and by the way, I have to emphasize, if you're not LGBTQ, you're going to get a lot out of this. This isn't just for our lot. We talk about him growing up, about what he went through after he, you know his huge... Uh, rise to stardom and I think the experiences he went through this is a really fun chat by the way it's um I think you'll see what I mean we have a nice very very good time chatting about everything so do give it a listen support us on patreon if you can to keep the channel on the road so we can do our documentaries and all the rest or use the supporter function uh, please subscribe and leave five stars if you feel so willing and that's me listen to will young well look at you
1: i know i know i look like very very no um, in looking,
0: looking how you I don't think you ever change i think you always I, kind of look your handsome self consistent i'd say that's what i think i'm gonna take that yeah i'm happy with the way i look when i was think. younger people actually said i was very confident uh, flattered when i was a teenager and they said that i looked a little bit like you and actually at the time that was i was like i was i was closeted so i think they were kind of trying to say we think you might be gay like the gay, gay
1: stuff. um yeah. well i mean it's so interesting because like saying you're a fan of will Young is basically like saying was seen seen as seeing you're gay <laughs> it was very i i sort of became that kind of thing but that's a whole other conversation i um no, I, I I like the way I look. I think you're a prettier version of me.
0: No, that's definitely not true. I am you're looking not, quite gated. I went quite a, obviously I thought saw... You've got lovely you've got large
1: Bambi eyes. Bambi eyes. Goggly. <laughs> like, uh, good good gnashes. Uh, yeah, they were right them? at the moment. Have you ever had them done?
0: I'm not I'm not gonna comment on that. I'm not gonna i I'm not gonna you'll have to speak via my but I will issue a press release later to clarify. Why
1: would you not comment on that? I've, I'm going to tell you what I've had done. I've had hair plugs. Right. I haven't had my teeth done.
0: and I I did kind of have my teeth done, but only because when I was 11 during drama mm-hmm. at high school, they, they you know those warm-up games they do, and they separate the class into two, and they put treasure in the middle. It wasn't treasure, it was some keys. And then they give you corresponding numbers, and I think mine was three, and then I went, bam, my teeth into the head of someone called Cam, blood everywhere. And then I had a dead teeth for much of my adolescence. And I only kind of got it fixed when I was like, to... oh, that's not nice.
1: Yeah, that I stuff. had a brace, um, to, I had a gap in my teeth and I had a brace that they used to tighten twice a day and it, for like a year. And it was cemented into my top thing. And that was very nice. And then, by the way, I'm sorry, I've been ill, so I'm sounding a bit. Um, you
0: great. You sound great. I was going to say I, I had the same thing for
1: last week. Did you? Did you have one of those? And then right. they wanted to break my jaw because because um, it didn't like me um, because I've got an overbite and a side bite, so they were going to gonna break my jaw and fix it and. They, my mum said, do you really want to go through all that pain for something basically aesthetic? And I was like, no, not really.
0: Yeah, I just think keep breaking jaws to an absolute minimum. That's just <laughs> a life piece of advice. I had a piece of gum. This is all getting quite, this is now a dentistry themed show. I had a bit of gum there because I had a massive gap between my teeth. Um, and it stopped it closing. So I had to have a general anaesthetic to have that removed. And then I could have the brace there.
1: There you go, see, We Forget about all these horrors in our
0: past. Speaking of which. <laughs> so, uh, well, we're very, 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 very honoured to have you. Uh, to have you and I was going to say, because you, were, you are a part of any of, I'm now what's called a, what's it called? An old millennial, but there's a certain word, geriatric millennial. I'm a geriatric millennial. That's what we're called. <laughs> How old are you? I'm, well, I was, I'm was i 36, and I was born in 1984. And you were a big deal for... I was still closeted when you came out. Uh, but for for young queer people of that period in particular, big deal. Now, we'll talk about your book, To Be a Gay Man. Mm. Uh, it's not <laughs> a handbook about you. I should have brought my he's over there. Well, I might get it at the end.
1: I forget. I was I, I forget. When, when it's people I like talking to, I always just think it's a chat. I'm just gonna do this.
0: Yeah, go on. It is a chat. It is a chat though. Oh hello. Yeah. yeah. But just for those listening to the podcast, Will was just giving the camera a little white. Oh, that's much better. Yes, look. Now we've whatever was smeared all over the camera has been
1: some it's probably spittle from a, a zoom call.
0: Where Will is getting very, very intense. Sort of Will is associated, of course, with aggression popular in the public. <laughs> Should we start with the cliche? The cliche, this is often what happens for those who are of a heterosexual persuasion. Nothing wrong with that. Mm. Is, is when often LGBTQ people sit down, maybe for a day or something like that. They often go like, when did you know? Kind of thing, don't they? It's kind of, when did you know you were different? I always think is a good way of doing it. When do you know you're different? Mm. So when should we start with that? Because I know you talked about fancying Bobby Ewing. I think it was on Dallas. It was for me. It was David Duchovny in the X Files. Just FYI, that's a good uh, one. it was a good one. He was really hot, actually. Um, what was I pretended I fancied? Of course, Gully, What was your experiences then? Come and talk about you know gender norms, knowing you just were different.
1: Yeah, Bobby Ewing was one. Um, i sort of fancied him or you know little crushes um uh, i had to wear sort of like national health glasses and i had a list but i still have a list now and if i think about it it comes out more um my knees knocked together when i ran um and i liked sort of reading um, from a young age, and I was very sensitive and it was very easy to cry. And my brother and sister used to call me girl, which really upset me. Isn't that interesting as a boy? It was like the worst, it was like, you're a girl. Oh, no, I'm not. Um, so I think I felt like other, and I was a big thinker, and would sit and think a lot, um, and enjoy it, you know, sort of need that time so i think probably from about the age of sort of five i knew four five yeah
0: that is early i have to say i mean very early i mean did you have that sense i mean i remember thinking back i mean we all approach these things very differently but probably you know from the age of 12 onwards i was like "Ah, Um, but I didn't come out to myself for many years after that. I mean, what, because you do, people, you have to come out to yourself first. You Did do. you have a sense of panic? Because I think, isn't there that sense if you grow up in a, in a straight world where you have this image of where, how your life is going to pan out and you're going to settle down with a wife and have kids snatched away, gone, what then? No roadmap.
1: God. God, you're so right. This is why I, I you're so right. Um, yeah, Big panic. Big panic. Uh, And I think that set in from a young age and made me feel, you know, probably as I got a bit older, so probably more like around sort of like 11, 12 maybe, but also also AIDS and HIV came in, you know, and so I would be witness to these adverts of this, what was called a gay plague, not on the adverts, that's what it was called. Um, You know, so, Yes, the roadmap was not there. You know, I was not going to marry Jessica Hanbury, who was my girlfriend when I was six. Um, and I was like, okay, I'm a sinner because then I'm in Bible classes and, you know, there's Sodom and Gomorrah and turning to pillars of salt. Um, so that's going into my blotting You know, your brain is like blotting papers. You're growing up sponge, taking it all in. I'm a sinner, so I'm not going to heaven, so I'm going to hell. Uh, I'm evil, effectively. Uh, I'm going to die anyway because I'm going to get AIDS, so I'll die young. And I'll probably never come out, so that's not nice. So I was, I'm in a sort of helpless position of sort of like limbo, almost like purgatory, which many, many gay men were, and maybe still are, you know, in a sort of purgatory, the Kenneth Williams living with his mother, you know, Charles hawtrey maybe not so much him, um, Larry Grayson, you know, the gay man that's funny, but isn't sexual. So yeah, I think there was a lot of panic, which probably denoted a sort of freeze response and a deep sense of uh, hopelessness. Yeah. Mm. Which is really interesting to look back on because I don't feel that now. But there's something... It's funny when I say those kind of things because people are like, oh, my God, how awful. It's like, what's amazing is I did and so many queer people that have grown up in a heteronormative society, patriarchal society, um, they fucking get through it.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: You know, living with those awful feelings, and they bloody survive and get through it. Quite amazing.
0: It is odd, isn't it? I mean, that, you know, that sense some particularly, you know, younger gay people, not just younger gay people, but, and certainly more so then, but still many feel this now, of... If I come out, I'll never be happy. You know, I remember thinking. uh, I mean, I don't know if you ever got these kind of like weird lifeboat moments, or like some something you read, or a snippet of something you see on television, which is like that is not my life raft. So, for example, I remember watching on daytime television, and some I must have been like fourteen, and some gay man. He's probably like on this morning or something like that, and he was like. You know when i was a teenager and i thought i was getting and, and i thought my life was over and i'd never be happy and it was like oh, that didn't happen obviously i'm really happy now but it is true that's how it can feel doesn't it It feels like you know you'll be lonely it's no life i think that's a cliche actually some people used to say about being gay didn't they
1: that's really interesting yeah and it was because
0: uh, because again
1: oh someone at the door oh it, that's someone at the door ignore ignore amazon um, and uh, no, it's interesting because you do, I did pick up things from what I would hear from my parents, um, you know, and there would be little snippets like, oh, that's so-and-so's brother. Yes, he's gay, um, but no one ever talks about that. Or, you know, and I'd look at them, and I'd be at a wedding or something and I'd see so-and-so's brother and think. There was always a sense of sadness that surrounded anyone that was gay, although she's, yeah, no, she's never married. And we've always wondered. Um, you know, and there was always a sadness. They didn't have children. They wouldn't have an open partner at any of those events that me as a child would sort of, you know, have access to weddings, kind of big, you know, family parties. Um, And there was a sense of out- being an outcast and not being happy. They're not happy people, you know, And we don't talk about it. My grandmother, my grandmother was like, all her friends were gay. Um, We don't talk about it, you know? And and that's, so my sense of what a gay man was because there was no reference, no life raft moments, you know, as you say, beautifully say on TV, apart from disgust at people like Julian Clary saying, you know, I'm about to, I've just been fisted by Norman Lamont. One of the best sayings, I think, ever.
0: If anyone's uh, never seen this clip, yeah. go on YouTube after this. Don't stop listening or watching this. But it's do uh, Julian Clary. It's just uh, Julian Clary at the. I can't remember the. I can't remember. It was the some,
1: some TV awards or something like that. It just type bad. in.
0: Yeah. Norman d- 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 like Lamont, Julian Clary.
1: Yeah.
0: But, you know, people like him,
1: you know, then there would be discussions about them, you know, dirty puffs on TV and. So I had, so my only form of reference was, yeah, maybe what I would, stuff I've said already. And then that the gay men were just very sad, insular, lonely, isolated people. Interesting.
0: I mean, I remember I did this, uh, this was always an ambition of mine growing up to be on like, I love 1990s. And I did this <laughs> show and I remember that. Like- all those. You know where you're talking your head. Love it. <laughs> but they they made us watch Panorama from 1997, and it had this. It was the, the it was called the Gay Agenda. Hilarious. But they they had this Labour MP who was obviously very homophobic in his working men's club, and they just interviewed people. And one of them, this guy, was like, "Do you know what? If my son was a murderer or a rapist, I'd forgive him. But if he were gay, I wish he were dead." And you kind of watch that and think, wow, gay people watch that. (laughs) What a
1: fucking thing. I mean, shit me. What a thing to see. Um, It was very very interesting. And it was very interesting writing the book as someone that has worked through gay shame and really realising. I remember when I did women's studies at university. So it was my fourth choice, my fourth option. Basically, I didn't want to do it. And I got it. And I was like, oh, my God, I'm a posh, white, gay man. And I walked into the room and my tutor, who was amazing, um, was breastfe- had short hair, DM boots, and was breastfeeding her, her child. I thought, we are not going to get on. I was very close-minded. One of the best things I ever did, became a feminist and, re- and challenged the patriarchal society. Didn't even know about it. It was challenging all these things around me and that I use that as an example because that writing the book I was looking at forensically every lesson everything that I was taking in from day dot and I was like wow fuck me that is difficult you did really well to get through that Mm -hmm. you know because being gay for me I also realized it's not well it's not sexual when you're five you know a crush on Bobby Ewing but you know it's more than that and I realized there's a lot more to being gay uh, I was a gay young boy you know and I loved pony books and I loved fashion I loved my mum's fashion I was sensitive I read you know all those things um and it's amazing that I got through it actually I
0: mean yeah. talk, this book by the way everyone must read this book it is a beautifully written brilliant 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 book which I will keep plugging I mean, you talked about you know those those looking for gay sexual experiences on television or, or the internet, and I you know I think when I was fourteen, Queer as Folk came out, which was like oh, gay sex yeah. on TV. This Life, people often forget, This Life was a brilliant drama in the mid '90s, one of the first shows to have gay sex on television, uh, in a mainstream drama. But yeah. I remember as well, look at on the when we got the internet, you had the modem, bidong, 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 bidong. Right. And looking up uh yeah gay pornography and then suddenly you'd be an image would go mum no, yes. tried ringing someone when you're on the internet and she suddenly her go, doo, doo, doo. And hello hello when you anyway what tell me about those experiences oh god
1: well you know what's so funny i was watching something last night and they were dialing up it was an old they were, it was based in whenever it was and they were they were dialing up on the internet and i heard that ta-da, ta-da, and literally i was like triggered triggered so i used to go into the spare room used to be my sister's room still covered in cure pictures and uh and the ironing room and there was the internet on this one big computer and i used to go in when everyone was asleep put towels hello domino the dogs come in say hello hello,
0: hello. are you okay
1: yes I love you. Um, and uh, we'd put towels over the modem to cover the noise of the t- <laughs>
0: um,
1: and then, uh, yeah, look up pictures of gay porn and so- sometimes find a video. But it was absolutely terrifying. I, I masturbated in fear, I think. <laughs> a, a tradition
0: which continues to this day so okay. <laughs>
1: um, yeah, and I remember writing about that in the book I think because that was a way that I came across gay sex basically you know okay maybe it's not well no actually it is what it is isn't it you always look well, everyone looks at porn, and lots of people do when they're teenagers. I had no access to it. The other thing I used to do was I then found a shop in Victoria Station, Victoria Tube Station. Uh, I think I write about this in the book, and they, I saw gay pornography on the top shelf. So I plucked up courage to go in there, buy the gay pornography, and then randomly like some polo mints. Why? And uh, would then get the train back down to the countryside to my family home, look at the porn wank in the train loo and then terrified shoved the porn in the in the bin in the loo and then get off at you know Hungerford and get picked up by my parents but there was a lot of terror surrounding it still and i thought that everyone was looking at me in the shop and 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 that they were disgusted with me you know a lot of inner disgust leading to a lot of projection that people were noticing it, you know so it's it was and it, it was experiencing it my sexuality, but not in a nice, pure way, in a, in a very scared, frightened way. Yeah.
0: So, I mean, coming out for lots of people, particularly in that age, was at that age, I mean, it was not a different era. Well, it was a different era, but it wasn't different, complete, you know, it wasn't that long ago. And that, that's the point I was gonna make actually, because, you know, coming out is And people talk about sometimes coming out as one moment, an event, but it's actually having to come out lots of different times. And that's without being in the public domain. Now, you were on Pop Idol. And this was such a big cultural moment. It was huge. Everyone was obsessed with it. And it was you, it was Gareth Gates, and it was just this big, big, not clash, but it was the big kind of competition. Yeah, yeah. It was huge. But just tell me about that, because in the 90s, people, I think, do look back at the 90s. And I think sometimes, without going down this road, sometimes people look at, like, old Friends episodes who are, like, Young Millennials or Z- Generation Z and go, uh the stuff they say about gay people and, like, trans people is, re- is really off. Like, the butt of the joke <laughs> is often, oh, my God, are you actually secretly gay? You know, stuff like that. But actually, you know, people think of the 90s as this liberal utopian. it wasn't. I mean, the British Social Attitude Survey showed that the year after you came out, so this is after you had come out, 40% of Britons thought being gay was wrong, Mm. and just 37% thought it was not wrong at all. So even when, you know, in the early 2000s, people, social attitudes on gay people were still very, very divided indeed. So just tell me what that was like, you knowing you're gay, you're now suddenly being thrust into the, you know, the show. What am I going to do? Do I come out? Do I not? Just tell me what that was like, that whole period.
1: Well, I, I didn't know that statistic. I wish I'd put that in my book. It would have would have, been another way of setting a context of the time. Um, well, there's a few things. I think one, one, when someone, when one's living in a time, you know, you don't, I, I didn't have the space to sit back and go, oh, this is a bit wrong. It was just what it was. So yes, it was a very prejudiced, um, unpleasant time um, to be gay. Um, and for some reason, I because I had come out at university my first year for some reason, even though I wasn't happy and probably I wasn't happy in myself still as a gay man, I was damned if I was going to lie and live it, live it, live in secret. Um, I don't know where that kind of tenacity and strength came from. Probably my parents are quite anti-establishment and, and I'm quite anti-establishment and don't like the system. So part of that was probably like, yeah, fuck you, fuck you all. Um, I was just damned if I was gonna go in. So I wasn't scared about what it might do. Um, I was asked during the show to not talk about it. And I got very cross with the then, you know, because I had a politics degree I had lived a life. I traveled through Africa. I Money didn't impress me because I came from an affluent family. So all those things that people could use, power, you know, oh, these people are giving you a free thing, didn't impress me. It was just there for the singing. And I wanted to win and I was gonna win and I was gonna have a career i had a period of depression already at university i'd lost a very close family friend so i'd had experiences and so i wasn't scared of these people so they couldn't sort of corral me and when they said don't talk about it i went off on one and uh was like no absolutely not how dare you if someone asks me outright i will say you know i didn't go through that period at university which was hard to then what go backwards so i was quite kind of stubborn about it and i'd made a decision that if people didn't want to like my music because i was gay then i didn't want them to listening to my music anyway and i'll just go on and do another career um, so it was weird but i think i was quite stubborn about the whole thing yeah
0: tell me about you know you these threats to to be outed you had this awful graffiti i think it was graffiti tell tell me about that yes
1: well that was awful yeah i mean once i did come out um publicly i was always going to do it my manager simon fuller was brilliant didn't give a shit about me being gay and um we were going to do it through a broadsheet because we thought it'd be an interesting way of doing it Sort of slightly desensationalise it and also take, you know, chop the head of the beast off, so to speak, because of course people knew I was gay because I was out at university. Um, there were moments of threats um, during the show. There's one really particularly unpleasant man who used to work at a magazine. I won't even grace him with his name, um, but he piped down. And, uh, and then it was the sunday mail we're going to run it so we in the end i think we went with i can't remember news of the world sun maybe um blah 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 and then yeah i would get nasty things said you know i remember graffiti on us there was a platform when we did the pop idol tour it was a very big arena tour and there was a platform that would rise up and so as the We'd get on the platform underneath the stage, and on the walls, someone had written "faggot." And that same day, I'd been in a cafe, and I remember I wouldn't. I someone some teenager girl. This was very interesting, actually. She she was a teenager. She just shoved the phone in my face and said, "Speak to my mother." And I said, "Oh, yeah, I'd rather not. if That's all right. I'm just getting sandwich, but send my love, you know." And as I got to the door, it's one of my favourite cafes I used to go to. She said. Oh, is it because I'm a girl? Because it had just come out that I was gay. And I was quite shocked by that. It was quite, quite a thing to say. You know, homophobia from a girl, a woman, it is, is has a different edge to it. It's more surprising and it's almost more cruel. Uh, and I turned around, you know, it's one of my moments. And went, no, it's because you're fucking rude. I was quite pleased with myself about that. Um, but no, no, there were nasty things, horrible articles. Written by women, actually, again, you, you know basically sort of saying I, I was part of a sort of gay abusive bullying ring at school, and I'd never and I never sued the people because I was too scared of the papers. and I, I, it's one of my sadnesses that I didn't because it really hurt me. Um, yeah, that wasn't very nice. Um, so it would happen. It would happen occasionally. But again, it was just the way it was then. There was, no, there was no sense of like justice. That's how gay people were treated. And my whole point about the book is because I was famous, it gives a, a sort of extra microscopic look at how gay men were treated. It's not, I'm special. It's like, look at what happened. You know look what was written about us but there was no sense of recourse to, to, to justice or just was what it was um yeah crazy really
0: did you have gay people at the time saying to you thank you so much you being you coming out that makes a difference that kind of thing I did. you I got, an obligation, I, not that you should be, by the way, but kind of like, I am now a gay person in the public domain.
1: Um, I didn't, but I did, I remember, I mean, you know, also like, you know, I was just a student, just come out of university. And I remember getting flowers from Elton and David. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. I never spoke to him about that. I suppose it was quite a moment for them to see someone come out from the beginning of their career. And I remember thinking, how the hell do they know my address? But then it's Elton. He's probably listening now. Um, And that was kind of amazing. And I did get lovely letters and I still get lovely letters um, and messages. And that's that's really cool. I mean, that's really got nothing to do with me. Um, I just like potted about. Um, And if it it allowed someone, I was probably like quite an accessible gay man. Um, You know, I was fairly kind of neutered in my sexuality then. So I think I probably offered a lot of people, they were like, it's all right, I might end up like Will Young. You know, there was a bit of that. He's like, he's nice. You can take him home to your mum. <laughs> so, and and, and and for a while, I was quite ashamed of that. because I thought, oh, nice, real young. God, how boring. But actually, now I look back, I think, oh, there's worse things to be said about, about me than nice.
0: Actually, personally, it, I found it helpful when you came out. So thanks, selfishly. Good. Just on Elton John, do you think it's Not worth it? Well, yeah. That, I mean, yeah. Cheers, actually. <laughs> Elton John, I think, because it, I, I think the way he's sometimes portrayed in the public domain is so different from him. And i just as an example, because he's very caring, I think, particularly to LGBTQ people in the public eye in some form. When I walked out of uh, Sky News in 2016 after the Orlando massacre, I'm not going to go into that uh, again, but... Oh,
1: uh, the moment
0: it it was a it was certainly a moment but he i got all these and my phone went ridiculous but i kept getting this number and it was just like a random number, over and over again and i just thought it was a local radio station and then i picked up he was like hey it's elton it was just really random and he was just there just to be really sweet really supportive he's anyway he's just he's great super
1: guy. cool he's super cool and he's got an amazing maternal instinct about him and i we're not friends however i know that if i ever had a problem he'd be there in a heartbeat in a heartbeat and he listens to everyone's music he knows it all he knows it all he will he would have heard my new songs he he's a fan of music and he celebrates people and that's so that's so um lovely and it was probably i tell you who else was nice was robbie williams he was really nice you know but I, I i think maybe i needed that it was nice to have that little bit of support not that i was looking or feeling necessarily like bombarded but it was a it was a crazy time yeah
0: one of the things i'm interested in i, I actually spoke about this with you a few years ago is about i call i call this how homophobia is a form of gender policing so obviously if you're no. queer you're the main victims of homophobia shouldn't need to be said but in general like growing up and you touched on this this whole kind of when you know being called a girl that kind of thing but a lot of homophobia is actually about being seen to betray what it is to be a man so for straight men are often the receiving end so if they're not sporty enough they don't get into fights enough they don't talk about women in a leering degrading way it's like oh you gay or something or worse you were puff it's just quite interesting, isn't it, that a lot of it is driven by this sense of a very, obviously, one dimensional and harsh and intolerant interpretation of being a man. And it's almost like a baton to beat anyone who who kind of steps out of that.
1: Yes, it was used as a, well, I think you said once, and I, I, I hope or I wonder if I even quote you in the book as saying the people that suffer most from homophobia are young straight men, you know, that they get you know, if you're not sporty, like you said, or perhaps you like theatre or, you know, anything other than wanting to play football and, like, you know, yeah, leer at women, um, then, oh, you're, you're... Gay is used as the worst form of insult. It's um, interesting. So I wonder if... I, I, I was thinking about sort of school days and I was saying that you know, is it gender stereotyping or is it still that to be gay is the worst, is the most, you know, worst thing that can happen to a child and then to their parents and their family? So for example, um, let's say there's a girl that's, you know, i just gonna make it up, wins the shot put over the boys at school, if they have shot put, you know, or there's the boy that all the parents are watching age seven at sports day, and and he's way behind all the other boys and girls in winning the running race, you know. That there's a sort of instant sense of, that's unspoken, that is like, wow, they're displaying signs of possibly being gay. And you know, and that is the worst. And I think that parents have a huge responsibility to look at their own prejudices and fears of having children who might be anything other than the gender norm, Um, because they're terrified that their children or their child is gonna be gay. And I think there's still a lot of parents that are like that. Now they might be terrified because to be gay was, you know, to live a life of, isolation and sadness and you know they might be terrified because it will bring shame on their family they might be just downright prejudiced and horrible people um but i still think it happens a lot i still think the undercurrent is if they're displaying those signs johnny really likes theatre he's very good isn't he you know i don't so I, so what i'm saying is i still i think that to be gay is still seen as an awful thing for, you know, to happen to a child, um, and so if you're displaying anything other than gender norms, that's the kind of end result. Is that I think, coinciding with that, trying to prescribe children into going along this kind of tractor beam of gender norms is just so damaging mm. to them. And I and there's been a lot of, you know conversation about that I'd say over the last 10-15 years. So I really hope that that isn't happening as much. And I don't think it is. But I don't think that the sense of, my God, they might end up being actually gay has gone as much as people would say it has.
0: And you can tell a bit because even lot, I don't want to be shame people for this, because these often people, this is a size <coughs> they live, but you get like straight men who'd be like, yeah, gay rights away, rah, rah, rah. But if someone were like, oh, I thought you were gay, they would be actually quite offended and upset. And like, they'd be like, what? Uh, uh, oh, yeah. They-
1: oh, yeah, I can see it. There's some people that I see uh, near a friend of mine. Um, and it's a sort of house of lads, and I can just see it with some of the, the lads that live there. I can just see it. And I can see that one of them has a problem with me that because he's so uncomfortable. I can just tell you, I don't know if you have it, but you can just, I can just tell that he has a real problem with me being gay I, I, because it's, it'll be something in him. And I don't have a problem with that because I don't know what that thing could be. It could be anything. So I respect that. But it's got a certain quality to it that as a gay man, I think you pick up instantly. And also listen to that instinct. Don't second guess yourself. Um, But it's difficult for straight men. You know, it's really difficult because they're like, what the fuck can I do? Mm. Um, Okay, obviously, you know, They grew up in a patriarchal society. But you know, it is difficult. I would not want to be a straight man. My God, like, it's not easy. Don't show your emotions. Don't, you know, invest in in yourself internally and look at your workings and don't accept your sexuality as a straight man, you know. um, Succeed. You know, all those kind of things look a certain way. It's a lot more now, I think. You've followed America with, like, for men now, you just see so many gymmed-up men. I'm like, what are we, LA? <laughs> do you know what I mean? I mean, I do live in Clapham. But, you know, I think it's a thing for straight guys, body shaming, massive. So I don't think it's easy at all.
0: In terms of just a couple of other things that I'm really interested in, and... I mean, I thought this watching It's a Sin, and obviously, this was a brilliant drama by typically the genius of Russell T Davies about the horrors of the HIV AIDS. Lord Russell. Um, Lord Russell, indeed, who came down from LGBTQ heaven one day to bless us all. <laughs> it's a sin, and it, and it, it it, one of the things it did, and for those who haven't watched it, a bit weird, but do watch it, by the way, is it obviously the horrors of the HIV-AIDS endemic and pandemic uh, in this country and what it did to gay, bisexual communities. But what it, I think, showed is how LGBTQ people are damaged by often, not just society, but by their parents. And there's always this idea of parents know best, that kind of thing. Um, and that LGBTQ people end up being this substitute family that have to pick up the pieces. Because if you look, if we look at mental health, mental trauma is far higher amongst LGBTQ people than the rest of society. And with that comes often abusive self-medication. So levels of alcohol and drug misuse are significantly higher, much higher actually, amongst LGBTQ people. And often all of us have had experiences with, I'm sure with other having to look after LGBTQ people who, frankly, did not get the acceptance that an affirmation they should have got from their parents, and mm. that was like a ticking time bomb that was implanted in them, and one day it just goes off. And And and, and, and do you feel that, that kind of, that, that, you know, you get people, that damage, people feel it in different ways, some cope, some don't, and all the LGBTQ people are there as a family to pick it up?
1: I don't know if I relate
0: to the parent thing. Um, oh, not my parents, I should say. Sorry. Yeah. I don't mean my parents, I mean all no, you know, no, the people's were, parents. Yeah, yeah,
1: no, and you were referencing it's a sin, and so I, you know, completely got that. Um, no, you're I will have it on the record now. Your parents are fabulous. Never met them, but look what they've produced. So,
0: uh, you know, they did the best.
1: No. Couldn't have gone that wrong. Um, we won't go down the Philip Larkin route. Um I think. There's, there's, yeah, there's so much from what you just said that I'd love to unpack. I, I think I love the, I love, 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 you know, that sort of idea of an LGBT, you know, Q plus family and people acting as family because, uh, because that's beautiful. I think it might be a little bit rose tinted I don't know if i necessarily feel that some of that in the past might be my own internalized homophobia um so i'd love it if that was the case but i don't know if i've lived in that kind of bubble of like it's okay because i've got my gay brothers and sisters you know but i do kind of feel it for example uh i met someone recently on the street i was just talking because i just basically i stand outside my house pretending to water my plants but because i'm a nosy bitch i talk to everyone that goes past and um i live alone what can i say and um this girl walked past she's got the most amazing tattoos and we started talking about her and her girlfriend and when i found out she was gay i just had an instant sort of melting because i did feel like okay yeah i get you and that's beautiful so in that sense i feel a sense of family and connection and safety so important um i think in terms of mental health listen how can you not if you're not feeling safe in school you're not feeling safe at home you're met the messages you're getting are constantly you're wrong i mean and if you look for transgender people it is horrific particularly now still you are I do believe that internalized shame is a huge drive towards people having, you know, LGBTQ plus people having problems with addiction, problems with mental health, and all those kind of things that then happen. Um, And so of course, there's a correlating rise in, if you see the numbers, um, in suicide attempts, you know, in addiction problems, people going towards all sorts of things, chem sex, it's become worse and worse. Um, You know, it just makes sense. Um, Because if you grow up feeling wrong and defunct and that you really are just not even worth any sort of value because of your sexuality, that is gonna take its toll. And it doesn't go, when I read The Velvet Rage, when I was 32, you know, it was really interesting because it was like, it doesn't go. I I took really good bits from the books and from the book and other bits I didn't like, you know, I didn't take. Um, but one of the things I thought was a bit of an aha moment for me was just because you've come out doesn't mean all that shame's been dealt with. You've got a backlog. So what happens is people come out, they go into a world, find their queer family. But you know it doesn't mean they've dealt with their internalized homophobia their internalized shame and that then comes and bites you in the ass later on and it certainly did with me you know it did i was i was watching too much porn i was buying too much, spending too much because i could you know it was probably drinking too much never really had a problem with drugs probably smoking too much and then and then other addictive things that we have like thought addiction you know we all get all go into loops of thought no one ever think talks about that behavioral behavioral patterns that are forms of addiction um so i certainly have that and i think yeah probably a lot of it was driven by by shame not feeling good enough
0: Hmm. yeah just finally but actually just i'll I'll ask a final roundup question um but you mentioned trans so say that again. I've never had Botox. It's all just me. And do you know what? You look—you have the same what starts as a curse but ends as a blessing, which is youthful, eternal youth.
1: Well, my mother, I must say, I mean, I, I, I don't like seeing my mug next to you because you look like a little cherub. Um, you're crossed cross between a cherub and Bambi, and I'll hear—I'll hear no more about him. Um, but my mother and my grandmother, very youthful. My mum drives around, she's 68. And she drives around in a Japanese supercar. And I think she's got about five tattoos now. And She's very upset Glastonbury's not happening. I mean, she's so cool. She can also be a nightmare, but I kind of love her for that. She's quite an inspiration.
0: She sounds like an icon. Um... This kind of
1: is a bit of an icon, but uh, she's got a problem because, I mean, people do think she's the local drug dealer. She's
0: <laughs> well, she's she, I'm sure she's unbelievably proud of you. Um, I doubt
1: it. Um, go on. I think trans
0: people. I just, I'm really interested in the parallels there because the way gay people would, and I mean, it's not gone away, but traditionally in the media, in the 80s in particular, a lot of the 90s. <laughs> It was gay people are potential sexual predators. Gay people are going to brainwash children, which is why Section 28 was, of course, introduced. Uh, It was uh, biology is destiny. God made Adam and Eve. He didn't make Adam and Steve. It was that it was a mental illness. It was that we were some sort of weird fetish. It was that uh, why should the majority have to redefine who they are because of the whims of a tiny minority? All of these things are being played out again, don't, don't you think, about trans people. It's it's exactly the same tunes all over again.
1: Exactly the same tunes. Um, I, I was walking, I was driving along, um, in London and I saw a trans woman First of all, I thought school kids were shouting at me because I used to get a lot of abuse from school kids. It's quite sad, isn't it? But anyway. Um, and, um, you know, young lads. It's like, oh, fuck off. Um, and, uh, and then I saw her. I can't remember her name. And I pulled up round the corner and I stopped um, because I saw some police. And I said, look, I just want to let you know, you know, this person. And I suddenly realised, she was on her way back from work, it's like, and, you know, schools was breaking up, uh, you know, end of the day. She must walk past that school every day, how many days a year, and get that abuse every day, every morning. She's, and actually, I stopped and I spoke to her, and the police did. They were, They were amazing, by the way. She was like, it happens every morning, it happens every day, five days a week, how many weeks in the year. And I just was like, it like, makes me feel really sad actually. And I also feel I had so much admiration for her um, because I just thought, how do you manage that? I mean, I managed it, but you know, I'd also had the protection of chauffeur-driven cars and being famous. Being famous is a bit of a trump card because in the end you sort of win I took on a guy in a gym once, he was on his phone. He was a tosser. He was on his phone talking really loudly. And I was like, I'll oh, just f- fuck off and he's like, oh, money, money, money. He was like 28 and he was quite blokey. And I said, is there, is there any chance you could speak outside? And he kind of squared up to me. But then I saw, he recognised me and I thought, mm-hmm. being famous top trumps. You're <laughs> not gonna hit me, because you'll get in the papers and you lose your job um do you know what i mean but this this woman i think they get it so badly and i it's not something that i can understand i don't walk in their shoes but yeah it's horrific horrific and i, I don't really get oh uh, it's just fear isn't it people people are scared and it it'll calm down but yeah it's it's not it's not good it's a long-winded way of saying you're, you're completely right in what you've just said, yeah. What's going to happen? What do you think will happen? Do you think it's going to... Is it moving in the right direction?
0: I think what I would say, and obviously this, I need to be careful of the lane that I'm in because it's not not my lane. And I know talking to trans people, trans friends of mine, a lot of them are like, we just want to leave the country now. And really? kind of looking for their passports, kind of... Um, moment but i would say that um i'm without going darkest before it's dawn you know the 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 section 28 which was introduced in 1988 which banned the so-called promotion of homosexuality in schools above all else um that was the first homophobic legislation introduced in this country for generations so i suppose if you're going to be really depressed at the time you would look at that and in the 80s attitudes according to the annual british social attitude survey towards gay people got worse and worse every single year throughout the 1980s until in 1988 two-thirds of the population thought being gay was wrong and about 11 thought it wasn't and i i think what i'd say is often when a civil rights movement uh, or a minority makes strides they get a very intense backlash which can feel overwhelming and horrific And what gives me hope about the current moment is, if you look at the polling, attitudes towards trans people are far, far more favorable than they were towards cis, that's people who aren't trans, uh, gay people and bisexual people in the 1980s, like a lot more. And the most pro-trans, as you would expect, are women by a very long margin, which is why when people say it's an attack on women, it doesn't make any sense because the polling shows it's men who have the biggest problem with trans rights and trans people um, and younger women are the most pro trans rights and older men, not all older men. I know but older men tend to be the most transphobic. And I think what that shows is it's generational wise, younger people take trans rights as an article of faith for lots of people mm. in a way that even me as a old millennial, um, my section of that generation didn't when we were teenagers at all, Didn't I didn't stand trans rights at all when I was a teenager. had to be educated by trans people so i i think again i need to be careful it's not my lane but Mm. i think of course they're going to win i mean trans people will win trans rights will be won and trans people will be accepted as equal members of society who will be able to flourish and live happy lives the the issue is the trauma in the moment in the in the in the period going up to that and there will be times when things feel like they are going backwards which they do at the moment uh, but that's what happened with gay people as well. And in the yeah. end, we'll all win. The issue is how much damage and trauma is going to be inflicted on human beings along the way. And that's what's horrific. It's obvious how the story ends, but it that doesn't airbrush out the horror yeah. thing that's going to no, be there. No,
1: what's going on in that during that journey. Yeah, I mean... You, I was, you said something, and I just wanted to... No, just, I
0: was going to ask a final my dog, question.
1: My dog started snoring, and it sort of slightly took me off. Oh, that's
0: saying. quite... I always found cat, my, uh, cats, when they start snoring, I found it quite something quite reassuring about it. it
1: but he can sound like a fucking freight train.
0: Yeah, ours don't. Ours is just like... No, <gasps> are gorgeous.
1: They're gorgeous. Oh, they
0: are. They're very, they're very <laughs> sweet. <laughs> uh, do, do check them out on Instagram. Nice little plug. Instagram.com forward slash OwenJones84 on
1: like, coming out
0: <laughs> yeah exactly they are very... people do stop me in the street and ask me about my cats they are socialist celebrity cats final <laughs> question what if you had to go back to your younger self when you were closeted what do you think the main thing you would tell yourself about being gay that <laughs> you would have liked to have known if this when is you like liked?
1: This is like chair work I used to do with my therapist, um Lois Evans, who famously said to me, If I was your boyfriend, I'd dump you.
0: <laughs> Rude.
1: Amazing. She also said, See these Tiffany earrings when on our last session, um, because we finished uh, you know forever, we'd done the work. She went, You pay for those. Um <laughs> amazing woman. Uh, what would I say, or how would I? Um it's interesting because you saying that question brings up some sadness in me you know which clearly shows that you know it's still there and probably always going to be there a sense of how difficult it was you know for me as a, as a young boy you know feeling quite isolated um, I think that I would I think I'd take him to like exhibitions and say, you can read as many pony books as you want. Probably buy him a Shira model. Yeah. And outwardly encourage the fact that he was given an extra He-Man and the He-Man, they used to go out with each other. Cute. How cute's that? That
0: was very cute.
1: Yeah, that's what I'd do. Yeah. He was well, quite a sweet little kid, actually.
0: He, you know what? Well, you ca- carried on being a, a cute adult kid. That's a bit of a weird thing to say. Your, your, your cuteness has persisted. Now it just sounds like okay. really weird flirtation on. Uh, well, to, to wrap it's, things okay.
1: up. it's all right. It's all right. I know. I know. I know your partner. It's all fine. It's appro- It's appropriate.
0: He doesn't exist. Um, He's <laughs> <Keep laughs> gone. Cat Satan. He does, but he's protected. So, it's a big, big honour, Will. That was absolutely brilliant. And I have to say to everyone, the book, To Be A Gay Man, is brilliant. It is so wonderfully written. It's moving. It's insightful. It doesn't matter if you're heterosexual. we will got nothing against you. You will get a huge amount from it, and you will learn a huge amount. I learned a huge amount, and... Uh I think will humanity and fun sort of yeah. oozed out in this interview and it oozes out in the book. It oozes. I'm not sure about the word ooze.
1: No, it's good. Ooze. Yeah, because you don't want to write stuff. And there's nothing worse than earnestness, is there? Earnestness is so boring. So I use comedy in a in a on in a deliberate way. Because otherwise it's a whole book of very dull things. You know, and also life's fucking funny. You know, life is really funny. A postman came up to me last week and went, God, you've put on weight. And that's funny.
0: Rude. you look great. Funny. Yeah, it's funny. Yeah, okay, it's, 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 it can be funny. Depending funny on things you're...
1: can happen, but also a lot of sad, hard things happen. So, you know, that's life really, isn't it?
0: You could almost say that life is like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get.
1: I can't believe, honestly. I I've really enjoyed talking to you, but you, you've now just said that, and I just think, what the
0: fuck? <laughs> it's a great film. There's a great. <laughs> <film>. <laughs> uh, it is a great film. People, and I it, watch it. I comfort watch it sometimes. Do you? Well, not I, for a while. I don't think I've seen know, it for like five years. But I it's. Com- it's
1: I, I comfort watch Pretty Woman.
0: Or bridesmaids. Brilliant comfort watching.
1: Well, bri- Yeah, bridesmaids the best.
0: We watch that a lot with my partner, who we just discussed. Bridesmaids is a great, great. It's just I tried watching, it, making my mum watch it. it. Didn't work at all. She was like, "Oh,
1: I what? loves it." But I think it's brilliantly written as well because you've got that thing of of how friends pretend to be happy for other friends. That's what's genius about it. She's like, "I'm getting married," and the best friend's like, "I'm not really happy." You know, she's not happy for her at all. <laughs> and so often, friends. Quite often, I say to my friends. When my friend got engaged, I know we've I can see the clock, so it's like an hour's up. Um yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like being on live radio. When my <laughs> friend got engaged, I actually owned my stuff, my shit. And I said to her, I'm so happy for you. I said, I'm also really envious and I'm unhappy for myself because I'm at the time I was feeling single and sad. And I owned it. And she was fucking amazing. She was like, totally get it. Yeah, I mean it's it's
0: somewhat sad, you know. One of my friends like you know, whenever one of my friends succeeds, a part of me dies. <laughs> Before we go, I'm going to just show you Kier. Kier has just arrived. My cat, beautiful Kier. One second, stay there. Keir. so
1: beautiful.
0: Call me. Here.
1: Call me. Oh, Will. He, doesn't, he
0: doesn't really want to. He doesn't really want to do. It. Oh, come on. Come hello on. my
1: darling. Come you liked me when you met me last time. You wanted to see me. He, he was a
0: bit fun. I think what he's doing right now, what he's doing right now is, I don't want to be here, just put me down. And he's just like, I just have to get through this.
1: Yeah, I can I see. That Daddy he wants to cover wanna...
0: me. He is very affectionate, I should say, to anyone who thinks this isn't an affectionate cat, but he's just not in the mood for it. He's just like, I think I that,
1: that, that breed also are very affectionate, aren't they? Well, I'm going to show you there my dog. Yes, come on. I bites all over my arm. For those who can't,
0: for those who can't, obviously, if you're listening to the podcast, Will has a wonderful, beautiful, largely white dog. I would say with bits of looks. Yeah, he's.
1: um, I rescued him. He's enormous. Him and his daughter. I think. Um, He still is very bad around other dogs, Um, but the train is coming. He's just changed my life. Rescue, rescue an animal. If you can, that's what I would say, because the bond is very, very special.
0: So we've got two tasks at the end of this podcast for people, buy to be a gay man and read it, or get the audiobook, or both, or, and rescue an animal. Those are your two tasks, go. Easy, what are you waiting for, <laughs> you idiots? Yeah, you clowns, you stupid people. Lots of love, Will, really appreciate it. <laughs> Abuse the
1: audience. It works. It's called um, negative selling, I think.
0: (laughs) Well, we'll leave those bastards. And and thank (laughs) you, Will. (laughs) Lots of love. Oh, fuck off. Thanks for listening, everyone. hope you enjoyed that. Um, Do support us on Patreon or using the support function to keep the show on the road. And uh, do subscribe. Lots of love. Speak soon.